And now a reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys the word, love for God, it is truly made If anyone obeys the word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Thank you indeed, Wilma. Thank you for sharing on behalf of the Filipino community. And uh, it's uh, our joy uh, to be part of uh, the disaster relief in the Philippines these days. I know we're all thrilled to, to have a part in that. Let's bow together as we pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for relief that is coming to the Philippines these days. And Lord, we pray that you'll continue to speed it forward and uh, that... Uh, Those that are severely injured uh, will receive medical help. Those that no longer have a home to live in will have some kind of temporary housing. Those that are still looking for people to come to the rescue and aid will, will find that there are people coming quickly these days. Thank you, Father, for the small part that all of us here in Canada can have in reaching out and trying to be part of the lives of other people. Now we thank you for your word this morning. It's precious to us. We, we are so grateful for it, Lord. And as we take some, some minutes to study your word this morning, God, we ask that you would just come in your power and in your fullness and in your joy and make these truths applicable to our lives, Lord, <clears throat> so that we might <clears throat> leave, you, leave here this morning with a strong sense, God, that you have spoken deeply into our hearts. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, we're in 1 John. Uh, We have uh, arrived at chapter 2. Certainly not traveling at breakneck speed these days, but uh, uh, this is a a good word from the Apostle John. John, uh, the author of the letter, is, uh, is a senior citizen. Uh, I was going to say probably at least 80 years of age, and then as I read again this week, I had to readjust that, uh, and probably at least uh, 90 90 years old, uh, a man who could have uh, pulled his carriage uh, over to the side of the road, uh, or uh, kind of built a little villa close to the AGNC and announced, uh, I'm done. Uh, somebody else has to take over. I'm retired. Uh, I pulled my load and uh, get me to the beachfront and get me a few good books and just turn off my email. I don't know if the machine is working there or not. Is it? Uh, oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, you give me little clues when, when you put that up there, so thank you. But John uh, never, never even thought of the word retirement. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't even in his vocabulary. He was called of God, and he loved uh, his people. And you'll notice the people to whom he writes, he often refers to them in his letter as his children. He calls them his children, my dear children. And often he will say that because these are after 90 years uh, and after many years of serving the, the, the churches in Galatia there and uh, in Asia Minor, that these are the churches that, that have really impacted his heart and life. And he's, so he's pouring out himself as he writes to these, these churches. And uh, it does remind us that we are the children of God. And even though our bodies age, we're still children at heart all through life. And I think that's because the Spirit doesn't age. But uh, regardless of our age, we're all just kids at heart. We're just, we just get bigger, but we're all big kids at heart. We tend to never outgrow some things. Uh, most of us love a good story. Most of us like parades and boat rides and ball games. Uh, not everybody loves golf, and that is sad, but uh, uh, some people love soccer and basketball uh, and football. And most of the, the games in life, you know, really were made for kids. But professionals came along and said we could make some money in that. So we have Major League uh, Baseball, and we have the NBA, and we have the NHL, and we have the NFL, and we even have the CFL. And Regina today, of course, uh, is thinking it struck it rich. Their city is full of visitors, and you can hear the ching, 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 ching way out here in Edmonton. And Saskatchewan finally made it to the Grey Cup. Oh, there is... You are alive. You are alive. I thought I would see some green out here. The Rider Nation strikes again. But uh, good on you guys. And uh, I'm, I want you to know I'm pulling for the Rider Nation today. Um, anybody else here from Saskatchewan? We just have one. Oh, we have some more. We have some more. Very good. I read a book years ago. I expect you did too. Written by Robert Fulgham. All I really need to know, I learned in kindergarten. And uh, he wrote it way back in the 1980s. And we all love it because it was aimed at the child in each of us. And he gave us some good reminders about how to travel through, through life. Some basic stuff, like share everything, uh, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't think, take things that aren't yours. Wash your hands before you eat. And I love this one, flush. Some basics. And he said, remember warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. And every day, take a nap. That sounds like a great idea. Just hold on on that one for now. But uh, every day, take a nap. And when you go out into the world... Watch for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Isn't that great advice for living? 
pretty good reminders. Well, this morning I have a, another half dozen great reminders for you from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, the section that Wilma just read for us. Now remember, these words are to children, to the children of God, to, to the believers in the churches, the people that the Apostle John had come to, to love and to serve. So first of all is uh, try to stay out of the weeds. That's the first reminder. Try to stay out of the weeds. When you're golfing, if you can keep your ball on the fairway, that's half the battle. You're in for a much better game. If you get off into the toolies, it may take you one or two strokes just to get back onto the fairway again. Try to stay out of the weeds. And John puts it this way in verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And I wondered if John said that after he so clearly stated in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So just perhaps John thought that they would see that verse as a bit of a rabbit's foot and not take their sins seriously. Oh, well, I blew it again, so I'll just simply throw out 1 John 1, 9. And that'll take care of that. And perhaps that formula eradicates the deep sense of contrition and brokenness over our sin. And it just gets to be mechanical. First John 1, 9, got it covered again. So John says in this first verse, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. The New Testament makes it clear that Christians are no longer slaves to sin. And I love what the Apostle Paul says about that. In Romans chapter 6, he writes, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time remember you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. What is true freedom? I love that. Paul adds his voice to what John is saying. We don't have to live in the weeds. We don't have to vote for sin in our lives. The story is uh, told of former President Calvin Coolidge who went to church as a young boy. And uh, on this one particular occasion, he was asked by a friend what the minister spoke on that Sunday. He said, uh, well, he, uh, he preached on sin. Yeah, but what did he say about sin? Well, he, uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, I really don't know. I, I just know he was against it. And John is saying, just stay out of the weeds. I'm writing these things so you won't get too far off in the fairway of life. Perhaps some of you are playing with sin. You're right on the edge. You're picking up some habits. And because you've become sophisticated, you think you can get by with this. You're actually messing with something that's going to get you into deep trouble. And he says, I write this so that you will not sin. So the first thing he is reminding us is our responsibility 
to evaluate how we're doing. Are we pressing the boundaries? What is the inevitable outcome if we keep walking in the direction that we're going? How long can you go in this direction and not get burned? And have the consequences ripple through your life and perhaps the lives of your family, the lives of your friends. Try to stay out of the weeds. Now the second reminder that John gives us is, remember, you have the best attorney in the world. And he's always standing by. You have the best attorney in the world, and he's always standing by. It's wonderful to have an attorney in your corner. And you can go to that person to help with some of the challenges that you face in life. I'm glad, and uh, I, I told Bob I'm going to speak about him a little this morning. I didn't tell him what I'm going to say uh, because he, well, I trust him. I don't know if he trusts me, but uh, he, he's our chef, and he's also a lawyer. And uh, you, you have no idea of the blessing that he is uh, to so many people. Uh, and he is a wonderful resource to many, many churches in the city of Edmonton. Uh, they come to Bob for uh, advice in legal matters. And years ago, more than 20 years ago, out of the blue came a lawsuit against the church where I was serving at that particular time. Not this church, because uh, we're only 10 years old. But it, it caught us all by surprise. And that such a claim could ever be placed against the church. But you have to be prepared for almost anything these days. And that claim wasn't even on anybody's radar. It just came like, it came out of left field. And I was so glad to have an attorney to take up the cause and to work all the details through without bringing any harm or any disrepute upon the church. And it got dealt with. And the stress that I carried with the situation was simply handed over to the attorney and he took it and he ran with it and what a blessing. It was marvelously resolved without any pain to the congregation. In fact, the congregation didn't even know about it. Now listen to what John says. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. John says, stay away from sin, but if anyone sins... Yes, he knows we will mess up. You're not going to make it from the beginning of the Christian life until the day you die without messing up. I've never seen anybody make it. No one makes it. We've all sinned. We all stumble and we all fall. And the verse could actually be translated, if anyone sins, and it will happen. I like that. That's really how it should be said. If anyone sins, and it will happen. I shouldn't confess this, but uh, I'm afraid I'm hooked on the Rob Ford scandal in Toronto. I keep thinking any day now this drama is going to end, but, but it just keeps getting more theatrical. So actually, I find myself wanting to get home at night to see what's the latest. It's like Survivor. And find out what the next episode is. You know, people seem to love the television shows and movies where the focus is on crime and trials in 
bringing people to justice. Thousands uh, avidly follow the latest high-profile trials, and it's become a form of uh, entertainment. But there is a courtroom in heaven that dwarfs all of the law courts of our country and all of other na- every other nation. It's, that, it's the law court in heaven. And God the Father is the judge. Satan is the accuser. And every person who has ever lived is on trial. And the issue is, how can we who are sinners, be justified, be forgiven before a holy God. And Satan is the accuser, and he says, you're guilty, you've sinned, you have no relationship with God, you're done, you, have a pl- you don't have a place in heaven, you're abandoned, just forget about trying to walk with God. And I love this quote I'm going to give you by the theologian R.C. Sproul. It's a long quote, but it's on the screen. The doctrine of justification involves a legal matter of the highest magnitude. It involves a matter of judgment before the supreme tribunal of God. The most basic of all issues we face as fallen human beings is the issue of how we as unjust sinners can hope to survive a judgment before the court of an absolutely holy and absolutely just God. Herein lies our dilemma. (coughs) He is just. We are unjust. If we receive from his hands what justice is due to us, we face the everlasting punishment of hell. R.C. Sproul. That, in essence, is the challenge of the sin problem. We are all guilty. And in the courtroom of heaven, we all stand before the judge, and we are guilty of sin, and we are guilty of violating God's law. But all is not hopeless for the guilty. Because there's one more character to consider in the divine courtroom scene. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he acts as our attorney. He acts as our advocate for all those who believe in him. Now, it's wonderful to have somebody like that in your corner. And he's the most unusual defense attorney. Because he does not stand up in the courtroom of heaven and try to explain that his client is innocent. In fact, he doesn't try to make any excuses for his client. He doesn't plead temporary insanity. He doesn't say to the father, Ken was just being crazy these days. I don't know what he ate. He's just not himself. He he usually doesn't act this way. He He is just gone crazy these days. You have to forgive him. He's insane. No, he doesn't say, my client has lived a pretty good life. You've got to get back and you've got to get the big picture on my, my client. I mean, look at the big picture. Only a few slip-ups. One or two here, one or two there, but basically lived a pretty good life. I think you should excuse her. He's such a different attorney. He, in fact, acknowledges their guilt. Ken sinned. Ken has sinned. I, I can't plead that he's innocent. He did sin. Imagine a defense attorney acknowledging that their client is guilty. Friends, if you've come to know Jesus Christ and you've said yes to him, 
Yes, Jesus, be the Savior, be the forgiver of my life. I receive what you've done for me on the cross, the gift of salvation. I give my life to you. That entitles you. And I never use the word entitle lightly. That's a, that's a word that gets abused today. But that gives you a unique standing. So you never need to be in the courtroom without your attorney. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So when you're in the courtroom, there is another one that's also there. Not just God the Father, not just Satan the accuser, but Jesus, Jesus Christ, the attorney. And he is your advocate. Oh. Friends, do you know how precious that is? Isn't that wonderful? Can we give him a big hurrah today for that? Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Thank you for standing in the courtroom for us and allowing us to, to be, receive the grace and the forgiveness of the Father through what Jesus Christ has done. The word advocate is the word parakletos. The same word that John in his gospel uses to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside. The helper, the comforter. Same word. And in this context, it's used in a legal setting. And here, Jesus is the advocate, the one who comes alongside. And what an advocate he is. He, is, he completely understands our human weakness uh, because he came to earth as the fully human Son of Man. He accepts as clients only those who confess their sin and their desperate need to receive Him, uh, receive him as Savior and Lord. And He becomes for them the advocate who always gains acquittal for those who trust in Him. So you will always win if you have Jesus as your attorney. You never need to worry about being in the courtroom of heaven and losing you will always win when Jesus is your advocate. It says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I mean, there is so much. You that have studied this verse, there is so much in this word, atoning sacrifice. Some translations use the word propitiation. Perhaps you're reading that this morning. Or the word expiation. The New International Version translates it atoning sacrifice. That is well said. Which brings us back to an Old Testament understanding of the way that sin was dealt with and forgiven. The blood of the sacrificed animals was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. So the life of an animal is sacrificed on behalf of the people. And the substitution is what atonement means. A covering. There's a covering that is placed between the people and the Lord, and there is atonement. There is a covering. And our, our sin doesn't need to be denied. It is real, but the covering is there. And, and the covering, of course, is the blood of Jesus Christ who brings us forgiveness. He has covered us. He has covered us with His blood. So in this heavenly courtroom, the advocate, the divine attorney, steps up and he advocates for the client, you and me, and he says, my client is guilty, 
but I have paid the price. They are covered with my blood. And when the father hears that, he is satisfied. And he says, then case dismissed. Then case dismissed. And here's a reminder that God loved the world so much that he gave his son. So John says, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I love that too. I love that too. I love that in El Salvador, there are people who are coming to find Jesus Christ. And that their sins are covered too when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I love that that's what's happening in the Philippines now in this terrible tragedy that as people reach out and say, Jesus, I need you. Take control of my life. That God is touching them. And, and in Russia and in Europe and, and in every part of the world, the message doesn't change. It, there are no boundaries for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So reminder number two, remember you have the best attorney in the world and he is always standing by. And then the third test is, remember the, remember the test of an authentic Christian is pure and simple obedience. I mean, how do you know if somebody's a real Christian? Is it because of the little fish sticker on somebody's bumper, oh, they're a real Christian and they're going 130 down Anthony Hendy? Is it that they don't use bad words or they go to church a lot? We would say that a real Christian is someone who has accepted Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And that sounds pretty definitive. But is that all it takes? Praying a prayer, raising your hand in church, a lot of people describe themselves as Christians. But how do you know if someone is really is a Christian? How do you know if you're a Christian? Now look at this verse, verse 3. This is really helpful. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. We know that we've come to know Him if we obey His commands. That's a real test. We can talk a lot, but the test is the obedience Less words, more demonstration. Politicians are fascinating. I mean, it's, it's simply the nature of politics. Every single politician runs on a platform of change. Doesn't matter if it's an incumbent politician who's held office for decades. The reason they want to be reelected is the fact that they can bring about the change that is desperately needed so that we and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren can see a better future. That's how you get elected. You advocate for change and for the betterment of our world. But those are only words. Those are only words until they are put into action. You might have heard about the disturbing uh, Barna poll that was taken back in 2007. Uh, and this is kind of a hard one to swallow. I don't even like to share it because it's so embarrassing. Uh, comparing the behavior of so-called born-again Christians with the rest of the population. These were people who said they had accepted Christ as their Savior and believed the Bible was God's Word. And that survey found that in a 30-day period, a 30-day window, 
these self-identified Christians were nearly as likely as anybody else to gamble, to visit a pornographic website, to take something that didn't belong to them, to physically fight or abuse someone, to drink too much, to use an illegal drug, to have said something that wasn't true, to have gotten back at someone for something they did, and to have said mean things behind someone's back. Now, personally, I don't think the reality of that situation is quite as bad as that particular survey might suggest. Maybe I'm just hoping that it's not as bad. But clearly, there often is a gap between the belief and the behavior of many people who call themselves Christians. And John says, we, we know that we've come to know him if we what? We obey his commands. So the test of a Christian is obedience. The fourth reminder is that you always make clear what you mean by what you do. You always make clear what you mean by what you do. There's a little tag at the end of the email that you receive if you ever get an email from the president of Taylor, David Williams. And that's his little tag. You always make clear what you mean by what you do. I thought, yeah, you know, that really fits in First John. No matter what you say, your actions tell the real truth. So John says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Wow. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. If you want to have a little fun, uh, Google Florence Foster Jenkins. Uh, she lived in the early 1900s. She was a soprano, loved to sing, especially the great operatic, uh, operatic uh, classics. She inherited money when she was in her 50s, which funded her musical career. It wasn't long before her popularity skyrocketed, holding annual recitals at the Ritz-Carlton in New York through the 1930s and the 1940s. But as one writer puts it, history agrees with hands held over its ears that she couldn't sing for sour apples. Jenkins' nickname behind her back was the tone-deaf diva or the terror of the high seas. The writer adds that if you ever hear one of her old recordings, all you'll hear will be squawks and squeaks and barks. But get this. She didn't ever grasp that she was bad. When people laughed and hooted as she sang, she took it to be delirious enthusiasm for great mu music. She, she thought they loved her and her music. Now, I would only share this because it's recorded in history uh, and not to be negative. But this, this is kind of the story and the lack of perception that was in her life. And what she got written up in Wikipedia uh, for this fact that she completely missed it. What can you learn from Ms. Jenkins? People will say, doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. But it does matter. Belief must match reality. Or it's laughable. It's a delusion. Your actions will always tell the real truth about the situation. 
Have you ever been around someone and you know, you know, you know, you know that instead of them being honest, they're springing you a line, a line of stuff. And they're just blowing hot air. And instead, inside you're saying, get real, get real, get real. Come down to earth, get real. Be honest, I don't buy it. But you're looking at them, listening to them. See, we can come up with all kinds of excuses to say, you know, this is where I'm coming from. This is really where it is. This is my situation in life. And we try to use our words to justify. But when it's all said and done, it's our actions that reveal the truth. Number five, remember that our obedience reveals how much we love our Father. Remember that our obedience reveals how much we love our Father. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. My brother and I learned to drive on, on the farm. Lots of space. You don't run into anybody else. Just get out in the back pasture and, and go. So we learned to drive uh, the tractor and the and the, and the trucks and so on without any fear of, of damaging another vehicle. And my dad was very generous in uh, trusting us with the vehicles around the farm. Finally, it was time to get uh, the driver's license and my brother passed and a couple years later I passed. And When it came time to take the half-ton alone for the first time into town uh, at night with dad's vehicle, his fancy half-ton, dad said, sure, you can go. And because my dad trusted me, I took it easy going to town, first, first night with my driver's license, not exceeding the speed limit, no fancy stuff, no showing off, I got the truck. I wasn't two miles away from home going down into a coulee when a deer sprang out of the ditch and whipped right in front of me. I hit the brakes Fortunately, the deer got out of the way. My heart went into my throat. And uh, this young 16-year-old kind of pulled over to the side for a minute and caught his breath and then cautiously proceeded to, to the town of Olds. And, and I think it even came home a slight bit earlier than expected that night. But I was free. I had the truck. I was on my own. I could do what I wanted to do. I could let loose, and now it was, it's my time. But I respected my father and the trust that he placed in me with his vehicle. When you respect your heavenly father, it impacts significantly upon your own personal life. You're guided by the principle of love and respect. And remember, as you walk with God... Your desire to walk faithfully with Him, honoring Him all the days of your life, is a reflection of your obedience and your respect towards your Heavenly Father. And when you obey your Father in Heaven, His love is made complete in your life. Well, the final reminder is simply to walk as Jesus did. To walk as Jesus did. That's how we know we are in Him Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's a pretty clear verse, isn't it? Uh, And this again is, is John writing to his children. And because he loves us with such a deep affection, 
he's able to put it so clearly. You say you follow Jesus. You say you're connected to him. Well, the real test of it all is to simply walk as, as Jesus did. Take your cues from his life and follow him. Well, just watch how he handled difficult people. How did he do that? How did he, how did he navigate when people are just miserable to deal with? And adopt that as your procedure to handle difficult people. Study his ways and learn his style. Walk as Jesus did. Now, doesn't it bring to mind the WWJD bracelets that people used to wear, reminding us to ask, what would Jesus do? And uh, Dallas Willard says, you know, the better question to ask is, what would Jesus do if he were me? That's a, that's a more precise question. What would Jesus do if he were me? It's a little long to fit on a bracelet, uh, but uh, nevertheless, it's a, it's a wonderful question. Uh, it shakes your world. What would Jesus do if he were me? Let's say you're a teacher in the classroom. <laughs> Ask yourself, if Jesus were a teacher in my classroom, what kind of teacher would he be? Do you have time for the kid way back at the back of the class who's being such a pastor? Would he see past the facade that another student is putting on? And would he get behind that face and see it as a cry for someone to love her or understand him? Now, what if he was in business? What if Jesus were in middle management? What kind of middle manager would he be? Would he talk behind the boss's back? Would he make unreasonable demands of people in his department? Would he do the bare minimum? Would he, don't say it, pad his expense account? If Jesus were a parent, what kind of parent would he be? Which TV shows and video games would he allow? How attentive would he be to the child's health and homework and friends? How often would he read with them and pray for them? And would he ever threaten to throw them out of the car if they don't stop fighting in the back seat? see it. How would Jesus live your life if he were you? And I began to think about that for my own life. Oh, I was suddenly a very aware of my own selfishness. My own selfishness. How would Jesus live my life? That's a question worth thinking about. That is worth the time to... It might even... Rewrite your job description for yourself. Being a Christian isn't just a matter of believing what Jesus said. It's a matter of living what Jesus lived. So, half a dozen reminders from the Apostle John on how to live and uh, how to walk authentically the walk of being a follower of, of Christ. Stay out of the weeds. Remember, you have the best attorney in the world. 
The test of an authentic uh, Christian is pure and simple obedience. The reality is that you always make clear who you are, not by what you say, but by what you do. Obedience reveals how much we love and respect our Father and simply walk as Jesus did. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, it's such a privilege, such a privilege to be your children. We, we feel like, although that letter is 2,000 years old, it just still speaks so clearly to us today. Thank you that we're those little children and we're just big kids. And Lord, I pray that uh, we will have hearts like children and be very pliable and open to you to you and to the things that you're doing. Thank you for loving us as you do. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, you want us to, to not just merely be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So teach us uh, again today and remind us again today of the value of, of being obedient children of yours. How much joy that brings to the Father. How much joy and fulfillment that brings to our own lives. So Lord, where we've gotten off into the weeds, forgive us. Thank you for, indeed for 1 John 1.9. Thank you most of all for the attorney who stands in the courtroom of heaven and advocates for us. Oh, we're so grateful for that today. We're so grateful that by your covering, Lord Jesus, we have been forgiven. And we have been presented towards the Father before the Father is holy. We are so thankful. And we love you, and we are blessed to be your children. In Jesus' name, and everyone said,